0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, when I, I, was, I was a junior at the University of Texas, when I realized uh, the power associated with the promises of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, that he would forgive sins, set me free from shame, and give me the power to live a life that would glorify him. I was, I think, 20 years old. I was 20 years old, and, and within the first few weeks uh, of following Jesus Christ, Being born again, I was attending uh, a college, you know, ministry to encourage people to grow in their walk. It was called Campus Crusade for Christ, and I was uh, waiting outside before they started. And there was a Coke machine right there, and and I uh, hit the coin return button, and fifty cents falls out, fell out. I was like, man, I mean, I felt like it was real money because it was free. It was kind of exciting. You should have been there. But uh, after the meeting was over, I I was walking uh, back home and went by this different Coke machine and just. Felt lucky, and so I hit one of the buttons for the selection, and a free Coke falls out. So now I'm thinking, man, if Texas had a lottery, I'd be in line. <laughs> ah, it was a good day. Uh, later on in the week, I was at the business school taking classes, and I went by a Coke machine, put my hand in the little slot, didn't even have to touch a button, and there was money in there. So I know this is a this is a good day, right? So it keeps getting better. A week goes by. Now I'm back at Crew, just about you know, walking across the building. And I was with a girl that was, had been walking with God for quite some time. She knew the Lord well. And I said, this has been like a week of free Cokes. I think I have like six Cokes in in, in a week. And then there was a Coke machine there. I said, watch this. And I pushed the button, no lie. (laughs) Something falls to the ground. I mean, it went from fun to weird to now scary. I said, I don't know what God's trying to tell me in all this. And she said, did you ask him? And I said, what? She said, well, did you ask him? What is he trying to tell you? I, I, I said, I don't even know. What are you, what are you talking about? He, and she said, look, it's, prayer is a conversation. So, you know, you talk, and then you listen. And, and then he, he'll, if you're if you humbly, you know, he'll speak to you. You're in a relationship, silly. And I said, well, you know I, know, I know a lot of prayers. I've memorized a lot over the years. And, and there's no place that I can remember where you stop and you say, okay, God, it's your turn to talk. And she said, it needs to be because it's a relationship. So, you know, later on uh, that evening, I was reading my Bible as I did before I went to bed and, and, and started uh, praying. And, and, you know, it, it, it never occurred to me in just the two months that I'd been following the Lord, it never occurred to me to obey him for any other reason than trying to, you know, be blessed by him or avoid some kind of discipline. It it was new to me to think about doing courageous things and acts that God would want just to bring my king joy. So, I'm on the side of the bed, and, and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I find my, my body is at peace. I'm starting to relax, and my soul is at peace. I feel like uh, it's right before you drift off to sleep where you feel your body just gets soft. And then I felt, I, I, I felt a thought. And the thought was, I will provide for you. I am your provider. And that was fun and then weird and then scary. And the reason I tell you that story is from the earliest days of my relationship with God, I had to learn to hear God's voice. I, I don't hear it a lot. There's a lot of reasons for that. It's not as simple as I might have made it out to be. But that word from him, it came back to me countless times. And this idea that I'm in a relationship with him. And that he is my provider. Over and over again, I went back to that. I'm in a relationship, silly. And he will be my provider. That's what we're doing this, this fall. We're looking at this idea of a theme of having a relationship with God. Enjoying, the, changing, quite probably changing the way we think, the way we feel, the way we live in, in the context of our faith we're going through a book together. It's called With. I think we have a handful left uh, in the lobby. You're welcome to buy one of those if you want to get in a discussion group. If you came to the first service, you could you could cross the hallway. There's discussion groups going on right now to how to apply this, um, and, and we'd love you to, to do that. I won't be teaching the book. I'll be teaching the Bible, and we'll be looking at how uh, how specifically how the, these different types of postures with God can be lived out, and I would say especially in the life of a man named Jacob. Now, Jacob's one of the fathers of the faith. He's what's called a patriarch, and I, I chose that we could learn a lot from him because he reminded me of me, kind of remind me of you, and he's kind of, he's kind of stubborn, you know, and thick-headed. I'm talking about me, I think, but also uh, that he's very ambitious for doing things for God. But the problem with him is, is the majority of his life, It's it's always about it. it, It's always on his terms, and what's tragic about his life so much is that much of what Jacob wants, God wants for him. They're actually built into promises towards him. But because he doesn't have a relationship with God, he does all this fighting and and wrestling, and, and works over God and under God and for God and from God. And he's constantly getting stuck and never gets to enjoy the life that he could have if he just, you know, we're relationships, silly. I realize he was God was his provider. Let me, let me show you how people get stuck, just graphically, and then I'll show you kind of the spiritual life in general. But I think this is one way people get stuck in life. There's, their life is moving along, and then this is, this is a timeline, right? And then there's this salvation experience, right, where you become born again, born from above. And in that context of that salvation experience, especially when you're young, right, it starts off kind of slow, and you have a new appreciation for maybe the sinfulness that's in your soul, and the holiness of God. And as you continue your walk with God through life, because life is difficult, as life progresses, you become more aware of the depth of your sinfulness. Sometimes it happens first, and then you are more aware of the holiness of God. Sometimes you're, you're studying the holiness of God, and it makes you realize the mirror is up, the light gets brighter, and you realize that He's, you know, He's holier than you thought, which requires you to come to this realization. And the reason I say that is because as life, gets, as life progresses this way, people get stuck because, because they have this, if you see the cross in there, the, the, at the beginning, that fills that gap between your, our sinfulness and His holiness. But as life progresses, people say, oh, my, my faith isn't working anymore. And because it's the same size cross that's going all the way across, you know, in their whole life. And in other words, yeah, your 20-year-old faith, that's how old I was, my 20-year-old faith doesn't work in your 30s. It doesn't work in your 40s because, because there's more to life. And, and now, as you get along, you can't handle success or failure, whichever. It doesn't matter. The, the purpose of, of life and the, the way you don't get stuck is, is when we come to these realizations, either about the nature of God or our own nature, we're supposed to be enamored with Him in new ways, and they fill that gap continue to expand. Uh, we we saying your glory is so beautiful. We're, we're, we're set free from ourselves. We're distracted by the glory of God so that we're not, it's not so much about us. And when we're not consumed with our own pride, then we can be how we were made to be, and that is to love God and to love others. So to, to desire God's beauty, to enjoy His nature, that's that's how we, that's how faith continues to grow over the years. It keeps getting bigger and greater. And, and I guess in some ways, to summarize the chart, it would say it would be that this day should be the smallest God that you ever serve for the rest of your life. This is it. It should be the smallest God is in your life, is now compared to the future. He's, he has to grow into the new needs and the new expressions of, of fear and danger that you'll experience. Here's another way of looking at it. If I could say maybe in a single sentence what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It is answering his invitation. Spiritual life is God's invitation to join him in a relationship. And here's what he says. Let's go do scary things together. That's what it means to be in a walk with God. Let's, let's go do scary things together. Let's, that's plural, you and I, God, you and God, together. That's that together part. That's that with, do scary things and the, the, the reason is God brings us into these scary things. He's, he's intentionally dragging us into scary things so that we can grow in our understanding, right, of his nature and our need for him. That we can expand the depth of his goodness and his provisions and his desire to love us and experience his love. We, when we're faced with the scary things, we can either react to that and live our lives around that fear, or we can face that fear and say, wait a minute. You know, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm living around this fear is because my view of God is inadequate, and that has to change. Let's do scary things together. That's it. That's how it works. That's what Jesus, Jesus, he was polite about it. He, he didn't say that. He said, come and see. He said, come and follow me. But here's what he meant. Let's, let's go do scary things together. And when he got his guys and, and the ladies that were following him together, he intentionally took them to places that were scary gets a mob of people, thousands of people, right? They're, they're all hungry. That's an angry mob in, in the making, right? And he says, okay, let's see what we can do about this. Let's see if we can take some food that could barely feed, you know, a hungry teenager and feed them all. Sure, yeah, let's do scary things together. Why? So that your relationship with God will grow deeper, that you could see that he can do these sorts of things. The crosses are growing. Every time he, he said, let's go fishing. I mean, you can imagine, you know, in three years, they'd probably just, no, no more fishing, because what you mean is let do, do scary things together and, and somehow out of the clear blue sky we're going to have a squall overrun us, some storm. Or when we finally get around to fishing, we catch so many fish, it swamps the boats and we almost drown then too. Yeah, and, God, and Jesus is saying, yeah, that's the plan. We're, we're going to do scary things together so you can be with me. That's, that's his plan all along develop a deeper relationship in the context of this. So whether it's, you know, a bunch of demon-possessed pigs running off a hill or picking fights with religious leaders or befriending the, you know, untouchables, he's, he's pushing us to have a greater confidence in this. It's an invitation. His invitation for the disciples is the same as his invitation to us. Let's do scary things together. Let's, us, the two of us together. The scary things. And, and in, in his ambition for us to develop a, a greater depth of relationship with him, we mostly want him to keep us from danger. We want him to make sure our life is peaceful and safe. And it's not his hope. It's not, it, it won't grow you. And if you just look at life, life itself won't allow that. You're a teenager, you're a follower of Christ, Yeah teenagers, right? That, let's, do, let's do scary things together. And then after that, you become an adult. Adulting is let's do scary things together. And you're single. Let's do scary things together. And then you get married. Now we're talking about some serious scary things together. Then you have children. Let's do scarier things together. Or you can have children. That's a set of problems all by itself. Let's do scary things together. And then your children become teenagers, and then you remember what kind of person you were when you were a teenager, and you're saying, let's do scary things together. But you really want to say, I'm tired of scary things. And God's saying, no, 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 we got to grow into this. We have to grow into this. That's the theme of what we're, we're talking about. When it, we're having a relationship with God that's causing us, life and, him, and He are causing us to become more like Christ in all of life by being with him while we do scary things together. Now, in the context of the book itself, it's going to help us a lot. I mean, I, I just, for, you know, I liked the book. I did not like the book. Okay. I, I, I liked the book because it, it put to words and demonstrated and gave pretty good examples of, of the specific uh, attributes of living, I guess, in non-relational ways. Right in in opposition to relation, you know, this with God. He looked at alternatives that you and I regularly go to. Right, I'll, I'll name them in just a few minutes if you haven't read the book. But, but the reason I'm bringing this up is is because that all of those alternative methods of relating to God, the reason we stall is because they are sufficient to get us through maybe a season of life or an event of life, but they they don't have the capacity to grow. The reason people get stuck is they they use one of those four alternatives and they stall because that's the way it's worked once and it can't work in the future. Simply put, they're using a supplemental way of relating to God and turning it into the essential way that they're relating to God. And he does that uh, nicely to to bring those out and point them out. Now, the reason I don't like the book is for the sake of clarity, and you just need to, it's hard to write a book, so just forgive him, but... For the sake of clarity, okay, he's making he's going to make it sound simple, like it's either it's all or nothing in these ways of relating, and he, and he's going to exaggerate sometimes the consequences. Although I could relate to all of his e- examples in some respect, but they are kind of extreme. But it, it is but it's not all or nothing. There are it's what's essential. It's a relationship with God. But these other things are true as well. So let me just go through. He has these four bad ones, I guess you'd say, and then, the, and then in the context of relating with God. So the first one he talks about is, is life under God, and it's a person that's living underneath the precepts of God, and this person wants to be obedient. They, they're memorizing Bible passages, and they're trying to obey the most they can. Sometimes, mostly what's motivating them is they, they want to get a blessing from God. They, they don't want to be disciplined by God. Well, that's okay. Okay. <laughs> It honestly is. You know, if it's supplemental. Uh, I per- personally, you know, I, uh, I think it's a good idea to memorize scripture and, and live according to the Bible. I think, I, I've been on the receiving end of his discipline, and I'm going to make choices so I don't have to go there again. I had a hero, a spiritual hero in, in college, and he said one time, just kind of off the top of his head, he said, You know, if there is no God, I mean, if nihilism is really it, there's nothing out there. I would still live according to the Bible, because it's still a really great life to live. And I looked at him like, <laughs> "And wait a minute, that could, you know that's right." I've been thinking about it for 38 years, and he's still right. It it still makes sense. The problem with living under God is it's as certain as gravity. That when you start living consistently in your walk with God, you oblige God. You have you. It's very easy for your attitude to shift. Like he owes you, he owes you a certain amount of safety, and he owes you uh, some of the things that you would like to keep you from suffering. It happens, and it's easy. Uh, Another thing that happens when you get something as simple as a blue belt in obedience. It does. I mean, you are condescending, judgmental. Pharisee that judges other people by you becoming the standard. So that's what happens when something essential, something supplemental, becomes essential in the way you relate to God. Uh, And and, and the whole point is, is that wouldn't it be better? No, no, I'm sorry. Wouldn't it be best? Wouldn't it be best if you saw God for who He says He is? He's a good shepherd. And and wouldn't it be great if the if you obeyed? The good shepherd because it, it would please him, relationally speaking, that he would enjoy that. And, it, and, it's, and it's, it grieves him to see you do things that are destructive. And listen, if he's a shepherd, that makes us sheep. And if we're sheep, that makes, we're not known for our wit. And why bad things happen to good people might be above the intelligence level of a lot of sheep. And so maybe we should not oblige him and think that life is that simple. Fall in love with the goodness of the shepherd because it's a relationship. Silly. He looks at um, living over God, and living over God is is looking at the natural creation of things, Newtonian physics, those sorts of things, and realizing, wow, you know, a lot of this works together so well that you don't really need a lot of outside help in many aspects of it. And and, and in the book, he brings up the whole church growth thing and bringing business into the church. And it's great to bring good business practices into the church. But listen, the church growth business worldview destroys spiritual things. It it, it destroys the body of Christ. And when I say the body of Christ, I mean the universal body of Christ. I mean the local expressions of the body of Christ and individual's. Because when you live your life over God, thinking that all the rules are written and you know how everything works now, what happens is it takes a living thing, an organism, and it turns it into a mechanical thing, something to be fixed, something to be figured out and then fixed. And so while good business practices are, are good for spiritual things, making the church and spiritual things into a business, obliterates a hope for a relationship with. Wouldn't it be better or even best that we would just enjoy God as a friend? He calls us his friend. And when we see what he's done in creation and we see he takes chaos and turns it into perfect symphonic order, we can still enjoy that in the wonder of it. In other words, the more we know, the more wonder We're amazed with, and that, by the way, that's a progression. If we did our timeline, you could split the thing and say, as you grow older in your relationship with, right, your growth is in in your amazement of who he is, what he's like, and that he would spend time with us. It's a relationship. We're to be in a friendship. Wouldn't it be better? Would no? Wouldn't it be best if what motivated us was this pursuit of greater wonder and and more joy? I mean, who would want to be in a friendship? with someone that is trying to figure you out so they could fix you. You ever been in a marriage or a relationship like that? No, there's too much mystery, too much joy to me. It's a relationship, silly. Then he looks at uh, life from God, and and that's in the context of when people are just trying to get things from God, and that's why they're involved in any kind of spiritual things. But listen, You and I can have that attitude because Jesus said multiple times and even repetitiously when he said it, ask, seek, knock, you know, ask, it'll be given to you, seek, you'll find, knock, the door will be opened. He said these words, this is, <laughs> this is out of the Bible, it says, ask whatever you want in my name and I'll give it to you, it, you know, and so to expect knowing about the Father's resources and knowing the good Father has, is famously generous with his resources, we could live our lives expecting things from God, he asks us, he implores us to pray about those sorts of things, and that's great. Now, the downside is, is it's, it's very easy to get into a relationship where we want the father to give us everything we want. And you know what you call a father that gives their children everything they want? Cruel. It's a terrible way to treat a child, and he won't do that. And what happen, what's, what's dreadful in this scenario is you start using the father. And he knows that. Wouldn't it be better or best if we went into our, our faith trying to be with God, realizing he is the great father, and that we, he, it would grieve him to see us try to take advantage of his generosity because he would want it to be in a relationship, not just in a, in a vending machine sort of thing. The last one he talks about in the book, he talks about living for God, living for God. And why wouldn't you want to live for God? He is a great lover and has expressed his love in ways beyond our imaginations. And so, you know, we look at who he is and look at all that he's done. And furthermore, aren't all the saints in the Bible mostly famous for what they've done for God? and that how they show their love for God? Yeah, but not always, There's a classic story, I hope you know it, I don't have time to explain it, but Jesus is over at a friend's house and and these sisters are are there enjoying him and Martha is making the meal and she's making this extravagant meal and running all over the place and getting mad at Mary uh, for not playing her part, but it was Mary that was to be teaching Martha. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're so busy working for me that you're missing me. See, she was so driven by the mission, she, she missed the person behind it. And that's what happens when you work for God. And wouldn't it be best if we saw him for who he was? He is a lover. He wants to spend time with us. When he's, when he, he wants us to work for him, with him. It's a relationship, silly. So one of the big ambitions here at Grace is that we become like Christ in all of life. And here's, watch this. We become like Christ in all of life when we realize that the Spirit is with us as we do scary things together. He's going to be taking us to dangerous places. Do scary things together with Him. With Him. That's how you become like Christ. That's how your faith does not stall. You know, if you look at the... The faith of Jacob, for example, again, I mentioned he 's the father of, of the faith, but he's also the father of the nation, Israel. His name will be changed from Jacob to Israel. Israel means wrestles with God. He gets that nickname because he literally wrestles with God one night all night long and it 's a picture of his his entire experience and, and, and what's tra- again what's tragic is is his whole his whole storyline is, is wrestling with God and trying to be over him and under him and, and working for him and trying to get stuff from him. And it would have been better and easier and sweeter. He could have had a great life full of wonder if he'd had just lived with God. It was all he all he all he wanted was the things that God wanted to give him anyway. So we'll look at that in the future weeks, but I want to look. Today is an example of someone that is a superb expression of what it means to live with God. Now, this is, this is we're going to look at Abraham's life. This is the grandfather of Jacob. And, and you probably know of Abraham, you know, the beginning of the whole thing. And this is the last scary thing that he has to do. Let's do scary things together. This is the last scary thing he has to do. And, and what he has to do is he has to get his son Isaac a, a wife. It's required. I'll tell you about that in a moment. But I want you to see in this storyline because, because because Abraham has lived this life and and it's gotten in his in his world of God has gotten bigger and bigger and everything. The, this this story is filled with tension. It's it, it's overflowing with excitement, but it has no fear. There's no fear in this story. You can just hear. it. You can read it between the lines. It's it's, it's doing scary stuff together, but he's not, he's not scared because of the size of the God that he serves. Okay, here's the last thing he has to do before he goes. Genesis chapter 24, Abraham now was very old and Yahweh had blessed him in every way. And he said to his senior servant of his household, the one who was in charge of all that he had, he says, I, I want you to swear to Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom we are living right now. But I want you to go to my country and where my relatives live and get a wife for my son Isaac. Now, this head, the head servant, he's nervous about failing, and so he says, well, the servant asks, what if, what if the woman is unwilling to come back meet with me to this land? Shall I take your son back to that country? And Abraham says, no, 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 because of the promise of God. He knows the good and perfect will of God. He says, no, no, no. Make, make sure you do not take my son back there. Yahweh, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and out of my native land, who spoke to me, he gave me this promise on an oath, saying to your offspring, I will give you this land. And so th- this scary thing they have to do together, this is a huge gamble. They're putting everything down on this one set of circumstances. And he's talking about this promise that God made to Abraham, and it, was, it included these three things. He said, you will have Heirs, okay, and then they will get this land, the promised land, and out of those heirs living on this land will be the savior of all the world. <laughs> so it's a big promise, but the whole promise is contention on these two things. Your heir is going to need to get married to have other heirs, and he can't leave the land. And so it's 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 from cover to cover in the Bible. You are to marry people of the same faith, and there's no Canaanite women that they're so thoroughly pagan, it will lead Isaac, the son, away from the Lord. And so he says, you got to go back home where at least they're monotheists, right? And that, that's good faith breeding ground over there. And so he's okay. So all the plans that God has are right here on Isaac getting the right wife. And here's why there's no fear. Because Abraham knows the will of God, This promise. And he knows the power of God's sovereignty that it's going to happen. He knows God so well because he's been with God and he's worked over the over and under and for and from. His expansive faith now has gotten to the point where it's like, look, this is going to happen. And so he just tells him, this is, look, look, look here's, here's what's going to happen. He's telling the servant, So he, that's Abraham, Abraham, or he says, he, God, will send an angel before you. So that you can go and get a wife for my son there. Now, look, if a woman is unwilling to come back with you, and he knows that's not going to happen, then just uh, you'll be released from this oath of mine. Only do not make my son go back there. And so the servant says, fine. You know, the servant swore an oath to Yahweh concerning this matter. Servant loads up 10 camels. Full, uh, filled with precious gifts to be given, and, and puts some servants on those camels. Then goes up and around the Fertile Crescent, and back to the, the part of the country where Abraham was raised. And he gets outside a pretty good distance outside of town, where there's a stream going. He puts all the camels down on their on their uh, kneeling down, and then he, he listens to listen to his prayer. Don't look look how much influence Abraham has had on his servant. Look, listen to this prayer. He says, then he prayed, Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, make me successful today. Show your steadfast love to my master Abraham. I stand beside this spring now. Have one of the daughters of the townspeople come up and draw water out. And then then may some woman come up to me and say, hey, uh, when when I say to them, could you give me a drink of water? Have that woman say, can I water your camels too? That's how I'll know you're a God that's still involved in in sovereign acts. And he he says, let let your servant know that this is the woman for Isaac. Show me your steadfast love for my master Abraham. And then it says, (laughs) while he was still praying, while he was still praying, let's meet uh, Rebecca. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out uh, with her jar on her shoulder, and she was the daughter of some guy who was also the son of some other guy, and he was the wife. Uh, that guy was the wife of Brother Nahor. That's how you translate from Hebrew. Anyway, so listen to her purity, <laughs> this Rebecca. The, the woman was a beautiful woman, a virgin. A man had never slept with her. Good character, right? She went down to the spring and filled her jar and then came up again. This is where the exciting part happens. This is the, listen to how tense, because everybody's in a hurry. So the servant hurried over to meet her and he said, his limes, please give me some little water out of your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And then she said, she quickly lowered the jar with her hands and gave him some drink. And then look how diligent and hardworking she is. She says, after she had given him a drink, she said, well, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. Hey, that's what I prayed. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and then ran back uh, to the well to draw even more water. And then she drew enough for all of the camels to be watered. And without saying a single word, the man watched her closely and learned whether or not Yahweh had made his journey successful. Let me tell you about this woman. Let me, let me tell you about camels. Okay? She had, there's ten camels. And, and camels, they drink they drink 30 to 40 gallons of water in 15 minutes. So she wants she waters these 10 camels, 35 gallons each, 8.3 pounds per gallon of water. That's 2,905 pounds of water. She's running back and forth watering these camels. That's how you pick a wife, right there. <laughs> That's good living, right there that's a woman. And when that woman says, you pick up your socks and put them away, you do that. And when she says, how's dinner? You say, it's really good. Really good. I love this food. He sees all of that happen and he A natural consequence of living in a scary place with God as you worship God. And then the man bowed down and worshiped Yahweh. He said, Praise be to Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his steadfast love and his faithfulness to my master. As for me, Yahweh has led me on this journey to your house, to the house of my master's relatives. Boom. That's what life living with God looks like in scary things. As a matter of fact, he goes to dinner that night with them and before everybody's sitting down to eat and he says, no one eats until I tell you a story. And he tells the whole story word for word all the way back again about Abraham praying for an angel going ahead of him. And then when she she goes up and around the Fertile Crescent, she's going to go back. She goes back when the first time she sees her future husband, Isaac, he is in a field praying to God, meditating. And so, goodness, you're thinking, oh, this is a great story, right? You know, People living uh, uh, a God-fearing couple, and they're both from great families, and, and you know they have great character, right? And they're going to be great parents and great marriage. No, not at all. They're terrible parents. They're terrible married couples. And here's, here's why it doesn't work for them, because they don't take that faith that we just illustrated with Abraham, and they don't take that faith and apply it to what they fear. And we'll talk about that next week. But the the point is, they didn't have a faith with God. And they all wanted things from God, and they all wanted to do stuff for God. But they're going to manipulate, lie, cheat, and literally steal from each other. By the way, always using Jesus words, always using God language, the whole time they're doing all this stuff that's unethical. And they will tear that family apart. And it's because they had no confidence in God's will, and they had no confidence in God's provision for that will, that He was sovereignly able to do this. Here's the end game of knowing God. This is one of the overflows, consequences of that. It's found in Romans, it's the New Testament book. I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's a spiritual form of worship. Do not be conformed to this world with all these other ways of relating to God and getting your stuff, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the testing, you will discern what the will of God is, the good and acceptable, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you have a relationship with God, you can hear God speak. And then you can have the confidence of Abraham at the end of his life. You can have confidence that Abraham said when he knew what God was up to, he knew his will and he knew his providence. It's, it's, it's this, again, those other kinds, supplemental ways of working with God, those, they can't be the essential way. They don't work. We have to be in communion. It's a relationship, silly. And I, listen, I, this, the, the whole week of free Cokes, I needed that my whole life. I'm glad I got it at in, in the early times because when I, when, when I decided to go to seminary instead of law school and I told my father and he said, mm, that's going to hurt. It's going to really hurt when you try to provide for your family and you won't be able to. And he's been right. But I remember thinking, he's my provider. God's my provider. And then when I, I went off to school and, and uh, I didn't have enough to go my first semester, so I missed the whole thing. And then when I got there the second semester, I didn't have enough except like $85 a month to live on. And I, I had a place. It was God provides. It's, it's this week of free Cokes. And then later on, I, I didn't have gas money to get up the hill to go to class, but I never missed a day of class. Next year, I needed a cheaper place, $65. I found a place, a, a guy's back porch that I could live on. It was kind of covered, but not really. And I, I was sleeping on a cot, and I didn't want to sleep on the cot. And I was coming home from school one day, and I found this mattress in this dumpster. It was a full-size mattress with a box spring. And I thought, man, a week full of Cokes, you know, free Cokes. Strapped in my car, brought it to the house. The porch was so narrow, it couldn't fit a full-size mattress in there. And so I slept on the cot and left the mattress and box spring outside against a tree. And uh, it got rained on a bunch, but that was okay because I thought, you know what? God's going to give me a place that I can afford that has room for a full-size mattress. And that happened. That happened. The whole point was the, the, the week of free Cokes took me, and the lessons were that God provides, and it's a relationship. Now, unfortunately, probably the driest season of my spiritual life was during seminary. And I think it was because we were trying to figure God out. There was so much academy, you know, scholarship involved in studying the Bible and studying God. You're, it's more like a dissection. And, and while I understood his provisions, I thought I, I didn't have a relationship with him. I, was, I lost that. And I needed that relationship. I needed it desperately because I needed to hear God's voice, and I quit listening. I, I, so it, I could have had a life-changing moment in grad school if I would have had a relationship with God, because in that moment, when I was in that dumpster, getting that mattress out, God would have said to me, hey, that's not what I mean. That's not from me. That's gross. <laughs> what are you doing? And I took that stupid mattress home, let it out in the rain for months, and then put my face down on it for eight hours for two and a half years and ruined my body (laughs) because I couldn't listen. His perfect will was beyond my relationship with him. Small cross, big life. Here's the point. I appeal to you, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is a spiritual act of worship. It's logical. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you would know and discern what the will of God is. It is good. It is acceptable. It is a perfect will. He wants to talk to you, it's a relationship. Silly? Here's our homework. Let's, if you're not in regular prayer time, let's start a regular prayer time together. Don't talk the whole time. Listen. You talk, then you listen. Humble heart. We'll talk more about what that looks like in the weeks to come, but that's, that's, that's where we start today. Let's listen. Okay? Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do lift up um, an opportunity to start a new paradigm with you, a relationship with you. I know many people in this room, they've, they've had expressions of for and up and over and all those other things. And we just keep leaving you behind. A jilted lover, a friend we've hurt, a shepherd we, we have contempt towards, a father that just wants to be with us. And while all that is offered, we're playing games. Lord, help us enjoy you for who you are. Lord, I lift up our schools to you and all the people involved. Now that it's in full swing, I ask that you would give unusual insight and understanding to our teachers, that every soul in that classroom has been brought there by you, that they might learn to love those children in special ways, for the administration that helps love on the teachers, the faculty, the Custodians, everyone that's involved, Lord, I'd ask that that those who call you king would see themselves as placed there to be ministers of the gospel amongst their friends and their peers. We look forward to opportunities to share stories of how you've intervened in our lives and everyday lives because we walk with you and we desire to know your good, acceptable, and perfect will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.